August 2017. German in Australia, Tanya Ebert, 23, vanishes after her husband claims that they had an argument. The mother of two lived on a remote outback property with her family and left without taking any of her belongings with her. Four years on and many searches later, her husband remains the prime suspect in Tanya's disappearance. Primary sources for this episode include Express Digest, The Daily Telegraph, Yahoo, SBS, InDaily, Adelaide Now and news.com.au. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 104 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. And I am keeping my voice down because it's quite late here, so you may need to just turn up your volume a little bit. So before I get into this week's episode, I am just going to say that I am not going to talk about what's going on in Australia or my state at the moment. Um, And I also want to say that I have a new patron, so welcome on board, Colleen. Thank you so much for coming on board, Colleen. Now, I just want to say something very quickly at the start of this episode, because this story I saw a couple of days ago. Um, actually on the 3rd of August, but it did not make the Australian news and it is incredibly important for this particular episode I'm doing today. So um, a young Australian woman who has been living overseas for a couple of years called Sinead Edwards, she was living in the country of Georgia, which is in Europe. Um, She was raped and murdered while hiking the other day in Georgia because it didn't happen here and it didn't happen in a country that's like a first world country. She didn't even make the, you know, nightly news here. Um, So I just want to say that her story really affected me um, and I wanted to send, you know, my regards to her family. I'm not sure at this point if they've caught the person. Um, I believe the police were onto it. But one of the things that I noticed in the story that really concerned me which ties in with the Kirsty Jones case we did last week, was that a lot of people saw a man attacking this woman in broad daylight on a hiking trail and believed that they were having aggressive sex on a hiking trail in broad daylight. So that really kind of reminded me of the Kirsty Jones case um, and how she, um, people just didn't come when she was yelling in her room in Thailand. We covered that last week. So, you know, maybe get involved in these things if you see them and don't put them down to things that most normal people aren't doing in broad daylight. So the last week's episode on Kirsty Jones got a lot of feedback. A lot of people said that they couldn't believe they hadn't heard of it or how fucked up it was that it isn't solved. Um, and I actually got an interesting message from a patron of mine, Finton, who's been a patron long term. Um, and I thought his story was interesting to share. So I hope you don't mind that I'm reading this, Finton. Um, this was one of his experiences in Thailand um, on the island of Koh Phi, which is most famous for being the setting where the beach, the movie was filmed. Um, But I think it probably brought back for Finton a memory of this from when he was in his early 20s and he was in um, Thailand with some friends. So I'm going to read this to you. Quote, this one terrified me. In my early 20s, when I was teaching in Japan, a group of about 10 of us went to Thailand and spent Christmas on Koh Phi, where we stayed in a really cheap hotel. 
After a lot of drinks, the two girls in the room next to me and I returned, and about 10 minutes after saying goodnight, I heard screams from their room. One had left the room and didn't close the door. A man tried to enter the room and attempted to drag the other one out, but bolted as she screamed so much. Long story short, he ran off and I moved into the room and we tried to sleep eventually. And when we quietened and down, quietened down, we noticed a bloody ceiling panel being removed slowly and someone trying to climb into the room. Again, we screamed blue murder. He fled and we had a pretty sleepless night, but moved the next day into a safer place. I remember at the time we mainly laughed the experience off, but listening to this episode really made me think of what could have happened. Poor Kirsty. That freaked me the fuck out. The thought of seeing a ceiling panel suddenly being moved. Was he a local or someone who was living in the um, in the hotel or guest house? Um, I'm interested to know. Fuck. And Thailand's not really a place where if you put in a complaint about that, they would really listen to you. Um, that's freaking terrifying. So <sighs> with all of that violence against women being talked about, we're going to talk this week about an Um, case of violence against women. And it really can't be looked at any other way, not by me, not by most rational people, not by the police. So this is a patron request for patron Sophie. When you become a patron, you get to choose a location for an upcoming episode and you can choose a case as long as it's not one of the ones I've said I'm not doing. Um, Patron Sophie is from my home state. So she's in hell at the moment as well. Patron Sophie, which actually ties in with this week's episode, kind of, She moved to Germany last year and then lockdowns happened. So just a really shitty time to make a move like that. And I've been thinking about people who have started visas, you know, in the UK or working visas, and then this has happened. And I really feel sorry for you. Um, Sophie is now home (laughs) um, and I really feel for her. Now she requested the case of Tanya Ebert and I knew Tanya's name and the broad strokes of what had happened. But re-looking into this case, Tanya is not a household name in Australia and she really should be. A lot of women who have been murdered by their husbands or men close to them get a lot of media attention in this country of mine. Um, Some of them do not. And I don't know what the difference is, why some and some do not. Tanya Ebert, I think in her home state of South Australia, got a lot of attention. Um, But I'm in the state kind of to the west, sorry, east of that. Um, So really just a byline for me. So Missing Persons Week in Australia just wrapped up today, which is late on Saturday night. It ran for a week and I follow quite a lot of Missing Persons Facebook pages. And one of them is called Leave a Light On Inc. And it's a organisation that draws attention to missing people in Australia. And that Facebook is really, really good to follow. Pretty much twice an hour, she puts up a profile of a different person. And I saw a lot of familiar faces on it come up this week, including Odette Hofton, Ryan Chambers, a number of people who were on the People Missing in Australia episode that I did. And then Tanya Ebert's photo came up and I thought, well, I'm doing that next. You know, that's kind of... um, I guess, the sign that I needed. And it was one of the last posts she put up because Australian Missing Persons Week just wrapped up. It doesn't just cover Australians that are missing in Australia. It covers Australians that are missing overseas and foreigners who are missing in our country because, you know, you guys count as well. Um, So this particular episode is taking us to a state which we've kind of touched on in the Tourists Missing in Australia episode, the state of South Australia. 
there were a couple of stories that I told on that episode, for instance, Anna Rosa Lever, um, which took place in South Australia. South Australia um, is a state that's kind of in the centre south, where every single other state connects to it in a way, if you need to look at a map. Um, so Tanya Ebert was a German national who had a family who were Australian. She had two little kids and she was living in South Australia on a very remote outback, what we call station, a sheep station. For this episode, the best way to think about where they are, even though it's a different state, is the movie Australia um, with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman, because that's a station. And even though it's in South Australia, this particular case, and that was in the Northern Territory, South Australia is kind of the gateway to the Northern Territory. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start out by talking about a little bit about the place where this takes place, because I think it's very important. And that is the state of South Australia. So South Australia has obviously been there for a lot longer than the couple of hundred years that Australia has been a country. Um, it has evidence of human activity as far back as 20,000 years ago in the area that is South Australia. And obviously it was home to Indigenous people before my folk turned up and made it a penal colony. Now, actually, South Australia is the only state in Australia that was not ever a penal colony. There were no kind of prisoner camp set up there, which I found out. So the capital you may know of South Australia is Adelaide, which sits on its kind of southeast coast. Adelaide is the capital of the state of South Australia. It's a small city in comparison to my city, Melbourne, or Sydney, um, but it's a beachside city with the nickname the City of Churches because there's a lot of churches there. I also just want to say it is home to one of my longest patrons, Lainey, who is due to have a baby any day now. So I hope you're doing okay, Lainey, and I will message you. But Adelaide and its surrounds is actually home to some of the most notorious true crime cases in the history of Australia. And even writing these names down got me scared. South Australia is known as the murder or serial killer capital of Australia and Adelaide, the capital, is known as the murder capital. <laughs> now, it sits next to Victoria, Western Australia, Queensland, um, the Northern Territory. The Northern Territory is where you would know, you know, the main parts of the outback and we will be going there for a future case, which will be the case of Peter Falconio, which is a very notorious unsolved slash solved crime that took place in the Northern Territory. But South Australia is the state underneath that. Now, I'm going to go through a few cases that spring to mind when I think of South Australia because <laughs> Tanya Eberts will be added to that. But some of the most notorious cases took place in South Australia. And even just talking about or thinking about certain cases like these ones kind of give me chills. So the first one was a case you may know, you may not. If you're Australian, you definitely will. It's the case of the Beaumont children. This took place in 1966 and it was three young children, things were different then, who went to the beach. Um, I believe it was, was it Henley or Glenelg Beach in Adelaide? Um, and then they were seen with a man, long story short, and they were never seen again. Um, their poor parents had to live for decades before they died, not knowing what happened to their three little children. And even as recently as two years ago, they were doing searches looking for these children. This was one of the cases that when my parents were young, they kind of looked to like, this is what Australia is turning into. 
um, and I have my thoughts about that. The next case in Adelaide took place at a football game in North Adelaide, I believe. It's the case of Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon. I think Joanne was 10 and Kirsty was 4. This happened in 1973. They were with their families at a football match, like AFL, Australian Rules. Um, and Kirsty, sorry, Joanne took Kirsty to the toilet while the football was on. It was different times. There was a bit more freedom. You were less worried about psychopaths out there. The two little girls were last seen being led away from the grounds by a man whose the sketch of this guy is so scary. I will put it in the Patreon and on the website, but look with caution because it is seared into my brain since I was about five years old. <laughs> um, last seen being led away and Joanne was following after the man who had little Kirsty in his arms. Joanne, to her credit, as a little girl, was punching this man and kicking him and screaming at him. A lot of people saw this happen and they walked for about three kilometres where people saw this happening while they were on foot um, and everyone thought that it was their father and Joanne was just having a tantrum. But in fact, they were being abducted and they have never been found ever and no trace of who this man is has ever been found. I actually just want to say that the Leave a Light on Facebook page that I have talked about earlier in relation to missing persons in Australia is actually run by Joanne Ratcliffe's sister. That's how that ties into this. The next case that I think of in relation to South Australia, which I think a lot of people do, are the Snowtown murders. Now, Snowtown is a little town that's, I think, about an hour outside of Adelaide. Tiny little town. Unfortunately, it was where the Bodies in the Barrels case, as it is called, um, a man called John Bunting and a lot of very inbred cronies um, were killing people that they deemed to be pedophiles and putting their bodies in barrels of acid in an old bank vault that they'd rented out in the town of Snowtown. I still remember when they found the bodies um, in the late 90s and there's a really bad movie which I wouldn't recommend called Snowtown about it. Um, I won't be covering any of these cases because they're all Australian cases. Um, the next one in relation to South Australia is a one that's called The Family Murders. This kind of ties into the Beaumont children and Joanna Radcliffe. Um, basically the family murders were a series of murders that they believe were done by a group of people who were known as the family. Um, it was usually the kidnapping and sexual abuse of teenage boys and young men. Now, they've only been able to charge one of the men in the family with these crimes and his name is Bevan Spencer Von Einem and he is a terrifying person and his name has been thrown about a lot when it comes to both the Beaumont children's disappearances and Joanne Radcliffe and Kirsty Gordon. Um, he was sentenced in 1984 to a very long sentence and he's terrifying. And the final one that comes up again and again in relation to South Australia took place in the town of Truro, which is quite a remote town in the state of South Australia. The Truro murders is a series of murders that happened in the late 70s that kicked off with the remains of two young women being found in the bush outside of Truro. Um, there is an episode of the very good Australian true crime um, show that used to be on hosted by Steve Liebman called Crime Investigation Australia or CIA and they covered both the family murders and the um, Beaumont children and the Truro murders from memory. 
So definitely look into those. So those cases are just a few that have taken place, which will give you an idea of why from as far back as the 60s, Australia, um, South Australia kind of has this kind of law around it. But I mean, in terms of tourism and things like that, South Australia is really beautiful parts of it. So the South sits on the coast. There's places like Mount Gambier, which is the second biggest city in South Australia, which my dad loves there. And also Port Augusta, which is another place he loves. And then Adelaide, the capital, just off the coast of Adelaide is Kangaroo Island. And then the top butts up into the outback and the Northern Territory. South Australia is home to quirky places like Cuba Pedy, um, which is where Anna Rosa Leva last went missing, which is where it is so hot during the day. Everyone lives in caves underground. And a lot of people who are traveling up into the outback start by going through Cuba Pedy. But for the most part, aside from terrible child murderers and things like that, um, it is home to 1.7 million mostly good people including Patron Laney. So very small population in South Australia. If you consider that my city, Melbourne, in the nearby state of Victoria has six, five or six million people living here. Um, so yeah, a lot of people up this way live, it's like hours drive to the nearest neighbour, that kind of thing. So I'm just kind of painting a picture of the outback part of this state where Tanya Ebert found herself living. So who is Tanya Ebert? Tanya Ebert was 23 when she went missing. She was a German who was living in South Australia and she vanished on August 8th, 2017. And I am recording this on August 8th, 2021. So today is the four year anniversary, which didn't even occur to me until right before I was recording this. So that is pretty amazing. There is currently a 200000 Australian dollar reward on offer for someone who can find and locate and alert the police to where Tanya's remains are. And we're talking about her being murdered because the police have never really considered her someone who could be alive and out there. And when we get into it, you'll see why. Speculation over who killed Tanya is also not much of a mystery. And to me, it is lock stock that her husband is the one who did it. So I will be approaching this episode like the police and like anyone with one brain cell would be. So Tanya Ebert was from Germany. And honestly, one of the things that upsets me other than her disappearance and murder is the fact that nowhere can I find where she was from in Germany, which really sucks. And I've read everything out there. But then again, Tanya didn't get as much press as a lot of women um, do who are killed in Australia. To describe Tanya, she's got blonde hair. She looks very German. I've been looking at a lot of pictures of her and I really love them. She, I find her really beautiful. Um, she's got the German look about her. She looks tall, slim, um, angular face, really attractive. But then there's pictures of her in this really vast property that she lived on with red earth. She's wearing her Akubra, which is, you know, like the Crocodile Dundee Australian cap that everyone thinks of when they think of Australia. In an article for In Daily by a woman called Elka Wakefield... This article starts with the words, quote, Tanya Ebert's disappearance and likely murder is not a mysterious tragedy. It is domestic violence, unquote. And that's exactly how I feel about it too. So Elka, who wrote this article, knew Tanya through her sister and she met her when Tanya went to a wedding in the Bahamas earlier in the year of 2017 before she vanished. 
Elka writes in this article, quote, Tanya Ebert left an impression on everyone. She was tanned and lean with strong arms and white gold hair. Her smile was huge and easily given. She was 23 years old, German, opinionated and worldly, unquote. So, at the time of her disappearance, Tanya had been with a man for four years who lived on an outback cattle, sorry, sheep station. His name is Michael Burden, B-U-R-D-O-N. And I just want to say that Tanya is spelled like the German way, T-A-N-J-A. They lived and worked on the Burden family sheep station, which is called Ulnina. I struggle with it. It's O-U-L-N-I-N-A. This is just outside of the tiny town of Manahill, which is in the north, kind of top north part of South Australia. Now, it's really important to understand how big the sheep station is. It is ginormous. It is twice the size of the second biggest city in South Australia, Mount Gambia. It is 400 square kilometres. Um, it is the size of the island of Antigua and it is twice, almost twice the size of the Sydney CBD or the Sydney Central Business District. So it is ginormous. It's bigger than some cities. It's in the mid-north part of the state of South Australia. It as I said, is 400 square kilometres. And the nearest town is a town called Manahill. And Manahill is 22 kilometres away. So probably up this way, you know, like a 15 minute drive. Um, and the major highway that goes up to this part of South Australia is called the Barrier Highway. Um, and it's located between the towns of Broken Hill and Peterborough. Now, Broken Hill is a very, very um, outback town that's kind of been made fun of on a lot of movies. So if you remember Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, when they go to that town and Hugo Weaving is wearing the dress made out of thongs or flip-flops, that's Broken Hill. So the nearest neighbour to Tanya and Michael from their massive property, which ran in Michael's family and that he inherited, is 37 kilometres away and 16 people live in this entire region. That's how isolated it is. The town of Manor Hill has only six permanent residents, but as you will find in most outback places, it doesn't matter how few residents you have, you'll have a pub. And that is where Tanya started working when she ended up in this part of the world. Their property is so big that from the front gate to the house, it takes 10 minutes to drive. So keep thinking of that really shitty movie, Australia. So if you want to know where it is in relation to the capital city of Adelaide, it's over four hours drive from Adelaide. Um, and as you'll probably know, running a sheep station or any kind of cattle station, anything is really hard work. We call it a station. It's kind of like a ranch in the States. Um, the property that Tanya and Michael ran had 6,000 merino sheep. So the sheep that you get merino wool from, which is very high quality wool that's in like Ugg boots and things, I'm pretty sure. So Elka wrote in her article, quote, seen from above, this part of Australia looks just like dry skin, unquote. And it, it does. I'll put up a satellite picture of this part of Australia. It is just red dirt, dry outback. So also just to clarify, a lot of people think that it's boiling hot in the outback all the time. This took place in winter. And as with anywhere in Australia, it gets friggin freezing in the outback 
in winter, but also just in the early hours of the morning. It's like anywhere else. So the Olnina Ranch had been passed down to Michael Burden, Tanya's husband, from his father. His father had died in 2013, so four years before Tanya disappeared from a brain tumour. And in 1997, um, when Michael was quite young, you know, in his early 20s or late teens, his brother had committed suicide. So this family had quite a lot of tragedy behind it. His mother was still alive. And I believe she lived locally to the Ilnina station. Now, Tanya was 23 when she went missing and her husband was 41. So I'm already kind of painting a picture of the difference in the generational difference of these two. Tanya and Michael met when Tanya was 19, only four years before she vanished. And she was a German. A lot of Germans end up doing working visas out in Australia used to. Um, And she ended up in South Australia in a funny turn of events. A lot of, you know, ones who get their working visas, they go to the major cities like Sydney or Brisbane, or they want to live on the Gold Coast or they come to Melbourne. But Tanya, she was different. According to news.com.au, quote, when Tanya Ebert left her native Germany for a year-long Australian adventure, settling down was probably the furthest thing from the teenager's mind. Miss Ebert, then just 19, found herself in South Australia's mid-north pastoral district, where she picked up casual work at a local pub to fund her travels. One day she crossed paths with Michael Burden, a handsome farmer almost two decades her senior, and her life changed forever, unquote. So, I mean, there's a bit more to it than that. Tanya was actually travelling in Australia with some friends from Germany. She'd always wanted to go to the outback and she'd ended up in the outback. She's actually more of an Australian than I am because I've technically never been to the outback. I've been in very west New South Wales, which butts into South Australia, but that's the extent of it. So Tanya had actually ended up somehow in this tiny town of six people called Manor Hill, um, and she'd ended up working at the pub in town. She'd turned up with one bag and started working there, and that's when she met Michael, who came in, and obviously he's older. He was like 37 when he met her. She was 19. He's going to be taken with a young, blonde, beautiful German woman. Michael was a, he's pretty good looking. He was a popular local sheep grazer, um, sheep, whatever the fuck you call it. I'm not a good Australian. Um, so basically, you know, they fell in love or whatever, whatever you want to believe. So early articles on Tanya's disappearance would paint the image that these two were soulmates and they were brought together because distance couldn't tear them apart. But in reality, as Alka wrote in her article, their situation was simply two people that got together because they were in the same area and because Michael was very persistent in trying to get Tanya. Elka writes, quote, in fact, Tanya was not instantly smitten with Michael. He was older, persistent and seemed kind, she told me in the Bahamas. He visited her in hospital every day after she suffered injuries from a car accident. This was not the tectonic plates of time and history moving together to push two wildly different people together. It was a choice made by two adults, unquote. So, Tanya and Michael had two sons by the time she vanished in 2017. So these things, their relationship moved very quickly because their eldest was three. So she had him when she was 20, which I have a lot of 
thoughts on. Um, and the youngest at the time she vanished was one. Today, by my estimations, they would be five and seven. Now, Tanya got involved in everything on the farm. She had never lived on a farm. She didn't know how to muster sheep, not that I would know how to. And she learned very quickly and became a all-rounder at everything. She did everything from herding sheep to bookkeeping for the company and the station. More recently, before her disappearance, Tanya was talking about wanting to breed and train working dogs. So this part of Australia does not have good, you know, mobile phone reception. Not that, you know, much of Australia does because mine's hard in my flat to get. Um, so basically to contact Tanya on the station would mean that someone would have to call the station and then whoever answered the phone would have to go out and find her on this massive property. And remember how huge it is. It's twice the size of Sydney CBD. I cannot underestimate how big this property is. There is a huge amount of drone footage taken of the property by the South Australian police. And I will link these videos on the unknownpassagepodcast.com website. There are endless mines, um, dams, all kinds of things. I, I literally just can't explain it. It just goes on and on forever as far as your eye can see. Extremely rugged in parts. Um, and this, the property to me is a central character in this entire case. Before she disappeared, Tanya's parents had visited her in Australia. She only got married six months before she disappeared. Um, so the the wedding was really, really beautiful. That year, 2017, she disappeared in the August, but that year was really big for her. Her friend had got married at this wedding in the Bahamas that I've mentioned that Elka had attended, and that's how Elka had met Tanya. That was in the April of 2017, and she'd also that year gone to visit her parents in Germany as well as her parents coming out to Australia to go to her wedding. Tanya and Michael had only just got married six months before. It was a magical day that had it's very Australian. I'll put up a lot of pictures of their wedding. She looked really beautiful. Um, it is very Australian. <laughs> that's all I can say. Um, it was written up locally in local newspapers, quote, those who attended the union, which took place at the homestead in February this year, described it as a magical event. The photographs of the newlyweds dressed beautifully against such a uniquely Australian backdrop are stunning. In one, Miss Ebert, dressed in a sleeveless silk tulle dress, gazes into the eyes of her husband, who looks equally elegant in a grey checked suit with brown RM Williams boots and an open necked white shirt, unquote. He's also wearing like he's a Kubra hat as well. It's like very Texas almost. <laughs> um, so this brings us to Tanya's disappearance on the 8th of August, 2017. Almost exactly as I'm recording this, we're coming up on exactly to the hour that she disappeared. So maybe that's something powerful. But first, I'm going to play a voicemail from new patron and listener Amanda from Canada. When you guys leave a voicemail, which you can through the Anchor FM app, if you look for Unknown Passage and then favorite the podcast and then click leave a voicemail, it times out after like 59 seconds or something. So keep that in mind. That's why um, Amanda's and a couple of others cut off. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I live just outside of Toronto, Canada. I uh, stumbled across this podcast um, looking for a specific case about Ani, 
and then I just became hooked. It's like absolutely phenomenal. It's thoroughly researched. Uh, I'm hooked. And I recently became a patron because I just want to be a part of the community. And I love what you've built. Uh, I'm currently walking my dog, which is what I do. Every single day I walk my dog and listen to Unknown Passage. And um, I just am blown away, Felicity. It's, it's amazing what you've done, the amount of work and research and care and compassion. Um, I agree with virtually everything that you say um, and your, out, your outlook on all Thanks so much, Amanda. A reminder, if you guys want to leave a voicemail, again, go to the Anchor FM app. Um, you'll have to keep it under 59 seconds because I'm not playing multiple parts. Not that anyone's left more than one. Um, and favorite the podcast and, you know, do your thing. So now that we've had a break, let's go to the disappearance of Tanya Ebert. And honestly, you don't need to have a genius IQ to really put the pieces together here. It didn't take the South Australia police long and they did not have tunnel vision like, you know, you may think that they did. It's just a case of putting evidence together and what makes sense. The girl that we're dealing with, her behaviour, how reliable she was and then what happened. So on the day that she disappeared, exactly four years ago, on the 8th of August 2017, Tanya and her husband and their children, uh, by the way, their sons have never been named publicly. There's quite strict laws about it in Australia and their faces are blurred out in photos that you'll see. Tanya and her family visited the Museum of South Australia, which is in Adelaide. I don't know if they had stayed there the night before or if they drove all of this way, which is over four hours from where they lived in the top north part down to Adelaide. I'm not sure because they left at like three o'clock in the afternoon, which would mean that they would have to have a day out in Adelaide. They'd have to have left around five o'clock in the morning. I'd be really interested to know if they'd stayed the night there and had a few days away um, the night before or if they just did all of this in one day because I don't think it would be worth it to drive down in one day. It's eight hours drive there and back. But whatever happened, they were at the Univer <laughs> University of South Australia, Museum of South Australia, which is called SA Museum. CCTV shows Michael, Tanya and their children leaving at around 3.20pm, leaving through the front entrance of the SA Museum. Michael is pushing the pusher with one of the kids in it. I don't know where the other one is. Maybe also in the pusher. I don't know. Um, Tanya is kind of walking a bit behind Michael. I will get into my thoughts on this, but I will put it on the Unknown Passage podcast website and link it in the Patreon as well. Tanya in it is wearing orange jeans. They're very bright. A grey t-shirt with kind of like a little black cardigan over it. Um, it's pretty clear footage. The mood is, the energy is very off between the two of them. And Tanya is acting rather nervous. That's what I would think. And I would think that even if I didn't know any of the details, other details of this case, if someone just showed me that CCTV and said, what do you make of this? I would pick up on that energy. So it only goes for about 23 seconds as they leave. On August Sorry, and that was also the last tangible sighting of Tanya that they have on footage. So around 7pm, so around four hours later, the family stopped at a BP service station. BP is like a service station 
brand. And this is on Main North Road in Roseworthy, which is a very small town on the main road that heads through Roseworthy. Michael went inside, he bought drinks for his family, came back to the car. And then if you believe his story, shit took a turn. So according to the major crime officer in charge, Detective Superintendent Des Bray, he said that according to what Michael would later tell police, the family had a fight just as they exited Roseworthy in the car and continued on heading home. Um, And they were next to some grain silos, which are big kind of steel things that hold grain. They were about 1.5 kilometres north of the BP service station, which is probably about one mile away. He said that they had a fight. He said Tanya became agitated in the car. That uh, Those are his words. Des Bray would say that she, quote, expressed to him that she didn't want to go back to Manor Hill and he stopped the car. The husband claims that he never saw her again, unquote. So to put it in perspective exactly where this is taking place, this is 55 kilometres north of Adelaide. So we have to presume that after they left the Museum of South Australia, they then went and did something else in Adelaide because it's only about an hour from Adelaide. So they must have done something else for that afternoon and we don't know what they did. So Tanya did not take any possessions with her. She did not take her phone, her wallet, her sons, which were the light of her life. She supposedly walked off into the night um, in winter, in the cold, in the dark, in an area that she did not know. Now, Michael would supposedly, according to most publications, add into his story that Tanya took a bunch of cash with her. Those would be his words. Police have never elaborated on what that part of the story entails. So basically, police would very quickly, once Tanya was reported missing and they started looking into this, be able to kind of rule out this story about what happened in Roseworthy. They they apparently did go to the BP, they did pass through, but evidence that the police collected indicated to them that in fact Tanya did not exit the car and in fact she made it back to the Ulnina station near Manor Hill. So everything that they collected, although they've never specified what the evidence they had was, indicated that this was a lie that Tanya exited the car. And they've never said what the evidence is, but I believe that they have dash cam footage from another driver that indicates that because they requested dash cam footage at one point and then they didn't again. So they must have got something. So Tanya disappeared on the Tuesday night But Michael did not report her missing until late on the Thursday night. In fact, it wasn't her husband that was worried about her after two days of her missing in the wilderness of the outback. It was not him that contacted police. According to um, news.com.au, an unnamed relative rang police on August 10th at 10.30am to report Tanya missing. So to recap... Tanya Ebert, a German national, travels to Australia as a 19-year-old looking to travel and she finds herself in a small outback town where she falls in love with a seemingly perfect, handsome man who runs an outback station like Hugh Jackman in um, Australia and she's Nicole Kidman. She very quickly has two little children and then they have a trip in 2017, August 8th, down to Adelaide to take the kids to the museum and do some things 
on the drive back, seemingly in the middle of nowhere where Tanya's not familiar with, at night, in winter, in the cold. She gets out of the car and walks away from her family, including her two little children that she loved so much. So when Tanya was reported missing by an unnamed relative who I believe is Michael's mother, Marlis, Tanya... The police very quickly took it seriously. I think they very early had a very strange suspicion, a very good gut instinct about what was going on, and all of their investigations up until this point have always pointed to the same person. So police took it very seriously, but I think Michael didn't like the fact that they instantly looked at the Ulnina property as the main potential crime scene. <laughs> so they locked down the entire property. That's one of the first things they did. They did this in order to not let anyone come or go so that any car tracks that happened on the property going to various areas, you can put the pieces together, would not be disturbed. Now, when we get into some statistics, you'll realise that, and I think you'll probably already know, the police are not just being idiots here. Most women, I think it's almost 70%, um, who are murdered or go missing, it is at the hands of their spouse. Um, so the police, not only are they familiar with these areas, these kind of police in these outback parts of Australia, um, but they're also um, acting on statistics as well, as well as evidence. Michael drove off and left her when she got out of the car instead of trying to find his beloved wife. Um, he did not report her missing for two days. These are all very good pieces of evidence for the police. So the police did huge searches. They searched pretty much every dam on the property. Again, this is why I talked extensively about how big this property is because you cannot dig up the entire property. It's just literally impossible. Dozens of police did grid searches. These involved the major crime units, um, different local companies that help with very remote locations, mounted police, um, police dogs. Um, yeah, just they scoured farmland you know, near the property as well. Um, they even looked in Roseworthy where, according to Michael's story, Tanya had got out of the car. Um, now, I did read a quote from a local in Roseworthy who was talking about what a small town this is and how, you know, small towns, if a tiny thing happens, everybody knows about it. And this person who was unnamed was basically saying to the express digest, look, if something had happened, we would know about it. If a car pulls over for someone to go to the toilet off the side of the road, we know about it. This town gossips and knows everything. We would know if this girl had even got out of the car. But bear in mind that Roseworthy is like 3.3 hours drive from, you know, the station. Um, it's only like an hour from Adelaide. So the police really focused their attention on the Ulnina station where Tanya and Michael were living. In what detectives described as quote-unquote quite unusual, they believed it was unusual that Tanya had left behind all of her belongings, her passport, which would be crucial to her getting back to Germany if she wanted to, her phone, her money, her 
clothing, um, her everything and her children. They very quickly knew that that really wasn't what Tanya was about. They also very quickly proved that Tanya had, quote, no documented proof of any mental illness, unquote. And my hat really goes off to the cops, how they handled this and continue to. There is so much investigation. They've done so many interviews. They've done so many searches they've done and so many, so much box ticking they've done. The South Australia police, you know, have really outdone themselves. So, That brings us to August 16th, eight days after Tanya went missing and police were at the Ornina station doing their searches and continuing to question the husband. Now, he was not under arrest at this point. They were just having a chat with him, albeit they were having a chat with him in regards to they believed that Tanya had been murdered, but he was not under arrest. Now, according to Michael's mother, What happened now is because Michael was upset that they were tearing up the property, not that they were tearing it up looking for Tanya, but he was just upset that they were like digging holes on the property and, you know, fucking up his beloved station that he loves so much. According to Detective Superintendent Bray of the Major Crime Squad of South Australia, quote, Following the interview, police remained at the house in company of Michael and other family members to complete forensic examination and commence searches of the area, the house, vehicles and areas proximate to that. Michael was not under arrest at the time and at this point in time, there is still no evidence to prove Michael is responsible for the murder and we continue to work to prove who is responsible. During the course of the afternoon, police momentarily lost sight of Michael and very shortly after, heard a muffled gunshot. They commenced an immediate search, calling out to him, and a few minutes later they found him deceased a short distance from the home, unquote. So apparently when they said they were going to dig up the property, Michael started freaking out, according to his mother. She still maintains that Tanya has pissed off and she's missing still, despite all evidence. Um, And he went into another room or out of the house. He said he was going to the toilet, I believed. He exited the house, walked a short distance away from the home and shot himself and killed himself. Um, Now, at a press conference the next day, Superintendent Bray said that from the evidence that they had, they had confronted Michael with the fact that they believed Tanya had been murdered and all of the evidence they had collected indicated that there were issues within the couple's relationship, which family and friends backed up, and they believed that Tanya had wanted to leave. She had mentioned this to a number of people and that she was planning to leave the family home. Now, During this press conference, police also advised that they had not found any evidence to prove Tanya was alive and it is very, very hard to stay off the grid for a day or two, let alone for this amount of time. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to just play you the Crime Stoppers update around this time um, with the information about Tanya's disappearance because at the moment I'm really kind of wanting to put her name out there because there is a massive reward on file. Um, and if you've got any information, you have to contact Crime Stoppers because Australia has no tourism at the moment. People are going without tourism and without a lot of things. And if you know anything, um, you could throw some people under the bus. A 
A $200,000 reward is on offer for information leading police to the remains of mother of two, Tanya Ebert. The 23-year-old was reported missing last August. Police suspect she was murdered by her husband, Michael Burden. We've got two young children who are now orphaned because of what's happened. They don't know or they're going to grow up at this stage not knowing where their mother is. Burden took his life while being questioned at the family's Manahill sheep station, but police have been unable to find any trace of the young mother. We are confident that people close to Michael Burden do know the circumstances of uh, Tanya's death and may know uh, the location of her remains. Call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. Crime Stoppers, 1-800-333-000. I'll say that a lot of times. So their two tiny sons were now orphans, clearly, because Tanya's missing. And for some reason, their husband, who wasn't under arrest and was merely being questioned as to his story regarding his wife being missing, has blown his brains out. So Tanya's parents were in Australia by now. Um, and you can watch the press conference on South Australia Police News on YouTube. They made a statement because they don't speak English. Um, first read by a South Australia police officer who is bilingual in German. Um, and then he read it in English. So I'm just going to play you the English portion of that. It's very hard not knowing what happened to Tanya. We do not feel hopeless. It is our hope to find Tanya alive and well. We also grieve for Michael Burden. His family are in our thoughts and our hearts. We are devastated for them. We knew Michael as a wonderful father, a good friend and a sociable person. We worry about Tanya's and Michael's two young sons who are true victims of this tragedy. Their well-being is our utmost priority. With Michael's family, we share in their future. We want to express our sincere gratitude to all of the help provided by police and others in our quest to find Tanya. They and the Commissioner for Victims' Rights have treated us with compassion and, by helping bring us to South Australia, have ensured that we are not suffering alone. We ask you to respect our privacy and allow us time and space to come to terms with what has happened. We will not be making any further comment. So, I mean, good of them to, you know, talk about their grandchildren's dead father and that because I would not be. So, senior police at this point in their investigations, believed that Tanya was unhappy, quote unquote, um, and that ultimately what had happened was they had a massive fight as they drove home. They had made it back to the property, according to all evidence they were able to find, which I believe is probably dash cam footage. Um, and they believed, you know, through process of elimination, that what had happened was Michael had killed Tanya in a fit of her leaving, which is a all too common story, unfortunately. Now, because most of the people who listen to this podcast aren't idiots, most of us probably already know that Michael is involved and so do the police. Um, worried husbands who have nothing to hide, who merely just want the best for their children and to find their, you know, wife who could be depressed or dealing with post 
you know, postnatal depression or something like that. When police turn up and don't put them under arrest, but merely ask them some very basic questions, they don't generally put a gun to their head and pull the trigger. Um, so yeah, they also don't generally wait over two days to report their wife missing when she's not from that area and wouldn't know the area where she got out of the car. But yeah. Um, so Michael's mother, Marlis, is one of those mothers who apologizes for her son being what is clearly a woman killer. Um, she believes that Tanya ran off. She said to um, Yahoo in September 2017, that the police had, quote, left the cattle station in disarray after the near week-long search concluded. Like an invasion, they ripped up roads, they twisted water piping, big machinery was left without fuel and then had to be bled by a mechanic in order to be worked again, unquote. So she's not worried that her grandchildren's mother is missing for over a week now. She's worried about the state of a tiny fraction of a 400-square-kilometre property um, and she's also worried about the fact that the police are doing their job, which is concerning to me. So basically, she said that she was also blaming the police because A, she didn't know how her son had got a gun because he didn't have one before. And B, why had the police not secured guns on the property? Now, this is where I remind people that Australia since like 1996 has not had guns in the hands of most normal people, but people who do work on properties have guns. It's not like it's impossible to get one. You have to apply for a permit and show why you want one. Obviously, you're going to have one working on a station because you'll need it with animals, things like that. Um, it's really not that hard if you've got a pretty good excuse why. So, Maybe the police, you know, because they don't deal with guns day in, day out in Australia, maybe they didn't secure it because of that. Maybe they didn't secure it because they, you know, um, didn't have Michael under arrest at this point. Maybe they didn't secure it because maybe they didn't know Michael had any. Who fucking knows? So she also added that if he did do something and if Tanya is buried on the property, police will never find her because her son knew every stone on that property. So she's just throwing that in there, even though she said that his story is totally true and she ran off three hours from the property and she's probably in New South Wales by now. Specialist dogs were used on the property as recently as 2019 and 2020 to search for remains, but nothing has been found because this property is twice the size of the CBD of Sydney. The Express Digest reported, quote, reports said she was thought to have been at the property to help her son after Tanya went missing. She declined to comment. This is about Michael's mum, Marlis. So <laughs> she turned up at the property afterwards, according to locals and according to police, during the time that Tanya was not reported missing. And you'll see in another police clip that I'll play you shortly that police very much know that members of Michael's family or locals in the area who are connected to the family have helped do something with Tanya on the property. And it's not just me saying that, it's police saying that. His mum also told today tonight that when Tanya went to the Bahamas in the April of 2017 to go to her friend's wedding... She had done a practice run then about leaving her family and that the Bahamas was a practice run 
quote unquote, um, for running away, <laughs> like, and all, ex- you know, paying for all of your expenses and flying to the Bahamas is a practice run of going off the grid and never using a bank account again, never accessing Centrelink, which is welfare here, never having any money to your name, but somehow being able to survive for four years. You know, it's a practice run for never being on the grid in a shelter or having your details taken. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> I laugh because I laugh because parents are some of them are so fucking deluded about the character of their children. Like my mother lives with her head up her rectum about the state of both my brothers. One of them lives in her backyard and he's a drug addict and she cooks all of his meals and makes excuses and says he doesn't have to work and it's fine that he hasn't worked for 10 years. Just because you gave birth to a fucking loser doesn't mean you have to back them up for the rest of your life. So she also said that the police had been so mean to Michael, you know, when they turned up. And I want to read you this quote from her to, from today tonight, quote, he was guilty straight away and I can still see the men running after them and I was sure they had their pistols drawn. It was just like cowboys. That's a real quote from an English speaker. She said they didn't even come and introduce themselves to me or say hello or this is what we are going to do, unquote. So first of all, it's not your property, so they don't have to. You're not in this investigation, so they don't have to say hello to you. Um, And police don't have to say hello to you and greet you and have a cup of tea with you when someone's missing. So now I'm going to go through some statistics on women in Australia and violence against women in Australia that I think will be pretty sobering to people. And I think this is important because not only is it Missing Persons Week in Australia, not only has this week um, a woman been killed in Europe, raped and murdered while on a hike, you know, just doing her own thing, but that happens, you know, every single week in Australia and across the world. So because this happened in Australia, I'm going to talk a little bit about statistics from ourwatch.org, which is a organisation in Australia that has statistics on women and violence against women. So on average, one woman a week is murdered by her current or former partner. That's in Australia. One in three Australian women, which is 30.5%, has experienced physical violence since the age of 15 One in five Australian women, which is 18.4%, has experienced sexual violence since the age of 15. One in three women, which is 34.2%, has experienced physical and or sexual violence perpetrated by a man since the age of 15. One in four Australian women, 23%, has experienced physical or sexual violence by a current or former intimate partner since age 15. One in four Australian women, 23%, has experienced emotional abuse by a current or former partner. Australian women are nearly three times more likely than men to experience violence to experience violence from an intimate partner. Almost 10 women a day are hospitalised for assault injuries perpetrated by a spouse or domestic partner. Women are more than likely Women are more than twice as likely as men to have experienced fear or anxiety due to violence from a former partner. Almost one in 10 women have experienced violence by a stranger since the age of 15. Young women 18 to 24 years old experience significantly higher rates of physical and sexual violence than women in older age groups. 
that's Tanya's age group. There is evidence that women with disabilities are more likely to experience violence. For example, women with disabilities in Australia are around two times more likely than women without disabilities to have experienced sexual violence from an intimate partner. One in five Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women aged 15 and over has experienced physical violence in a 12-month period. Over one-third of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who have experienced who have experienced physical violence in the year preceding 2014-2015 identified an intimate partner as the perpetrator of the most recent experience of physical violence. In 2017 to 2018, the number of women making calls to elder abuse helplines across Australia exceeded men, with emotional and financial abuse most commonly reported. Female immigrants or refugees face many of the same challenges as other abused women. However, they may also face some unique challenges, such as fear of being deported or of losing custody of their children. In 2018 to 2019, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander females had 29 times the rate of hospitalisation for non-fatal family violence assaults when compared with non-Indigenous females. Based on 2015 analysis, violence against women in Australia is costing Australians $21.7 billion each year. Women who experience partner violence during pregnancy are three times as likely to experience depression. Domestic or family violence is a leading driver of homelessness for women. On average, women spend nearly 32 hours a week on household labour and caring for children, compared with nearly 19 hours by men. We also know that women are more likely to experience violence in the home and that, as, and that a majority have children in their care at the time of that violence. Almost half the women murdered by an intimate partner in Queensland had previously been labelled by police as the perpetrator of domestic violence. So this study is one that basically says that um, women who are ultimately killed by their husbands. There have been previous incidents where police have been called and it has been the woman who's been arrested and the police have labelled as the perpetrator. So they've then been returned home and actually been killed and it's been proven that they're in fact not the perpetrator. So, quote, as the Queensland police again reckon with the brutal consequences of family violence, the deaths of Gold Coast women, Doreen Langham and Kelly Wilkinson, who both repeatedly sought help, they have acknowledged and pledged to address systemic failings in their response. So both of those women had actually been taken away by police and labelled as the perpetrator, returned home, and they were killed. The latest figures from the United Nations show that 137 women every day across the world are killed by a partner or member of their own family. Domestic violence has peaked during lockdowns. 2020 was the worst year on record in Australia for domestic violence. In two days in 2020, normally there is one woman a week killed in Australia. In two days in 2020, four women were murdered in Australia by their partners or estranged spouses. In February 2020, Brisbane mother Hannah Baxter was all over the news. Her three young children and her were attacked by her estranged partner and their father outside her parents' home where she was living to escape from him. He jumped them when she had strapped them into the car to get them ready for the day. He poured petrol on every single one of them. He flicked a match. He set them alight and he burnt them all to death. He then stabbed himself to death. 
In April last year, 2020, Kelly Wilkinson, who was a mother of three, she was 27 years old. She was burnt to death by her former partner in front of her children, and he is currently on jail on murder charges. As you can see, statistically, Ivan Milat is not the boogeyman of women in Australia. The man next to them is. Back to Tanya's story. So, on the CCD, CCTV of Tanya leaving the SA Museum, I really ask that you go and watch that. There is a very strange energy, which I would pick up regardless of if I knew the rest of the details of this case. She's kind of tugging at her hair and almost like sucking on her hair as she's leaving and kind of leaning away from him and walking a couple of steps behind him. He never once looks at her or acknowledges her. He kind of like forges ahead with their kid in the pusher. So this is where the important information on if you were in South Australia or have any information comes into play. So police at the time, but I'm sure it's still valid, have urged any witnesses who may have been in Adelaide on August 8th, 2017, who may have seen the couple, Tanya and her husband, Michael, at either Rundle Mall, which is in central Adelaide, or they were at the South Australia Museum on that particular day to call Crime Stoppers with anything you may know, even if it was small, an interaction you saw between them, anything like that. Again, it was August 8th, 2017. Major crimes detectives are also asking anyone who has any dash cam footage from back then, August 8th, 2017, um, or I guess into the early hours of August 9th, 2017, anyone who may have travelled between Roseworthy and Manahill in either direction between 7pm and midnight on Tuesday, August the 8th and has dash cam footage, please contact Crime Stoppers or the South Australia Police. Tanya and her husband were in a gold-coloured 2010 Toyota Land Cruiser Sahara. If you have any footage at all from your dash cam, and I guess you'll understand why it's so important that someone comes forward with that, although I kind of get the feeling that people already have, considering the language changed from the police from the early days to now. If you are having dealing with the domestic violence or sexual assault in the home, please call the Sexual Assault and Domestic Violence National Helpline 1800-RESPECT in Australia. So it's 1-800-737-732. At the moment, the two young boys are from everything I can find, unfortunately, with Michael's family. And as I've already said, his mother believes we already know what kind of poisoning those young boys will grow up with. These are all just my opinions, um, but I think it's pretty obvious. I hope that they are reminded how amazing their mother was and how much that she loved them um, and not told a spiel of lies for the rest of their lives. When they grow up, I'm sure that they'll figure out the truth. To repeat, there is currently a $200,000 reward on offer for someone who is able to show evidence of where Tanya's remains are. You can call Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000 or you can submit a tip online at crimestoppersa.com.au and you can remain anonymous. 
Here is another police presser. It is quite long. I think it's about six minutes. I need to play it for you because they reiterate all of the evidence that they have, what they believe happened and everything about the reward. I'm saying this because Australia is in the shit at the moment. People are fucked and on fucking welfare, left, right and centre. So if you are hard up, even if money is your motivator, let it be your motivator. On the 10th of August, 2017... Tanya is missing and she is suspected to have been murdered at the hands of her husband, Michael Burden. Today we're announcing a reward of $200,000 in relation to any information coming forward that will lead us to locating Tanya's remains. Mr Burden, who was 41 at the time, unfortunately fatally shot himself at his uh, station um, at Manor Hill on the 16th of August, whilst police were on the property investigating Tanya's disappearance. Michael remains the only suspect in relation to this matter. That uh, matter has been investigated separately, so I'm not able to make any comment in relation to that matter. Police believe that there are people in the community who know what happened to Tanya and have got information that they can provide that will help to recovering her remains and bringing this case to a close for Tanya's family in Germany for her children and for the wider community. Whilst Tanya's remains are missing, a cloud hangs over the station at Manor Hill and we want to bring that story to a conclusion and lay Tanya to rest um, and bring peace to her family. Police have extensively searched the property at Manor Hill. We've searched waterways and um, sentimental places within the property and we've failed to locate her remains. As you can imagine, the property is extensive. It's 410 square kilometres. So really, we do need the help from the public, um, someone with information about potentially where Tanya um, remains are. Tanya was last seen on the 8th of August here in Adelaide. And she was later believed to be in Roseworthy, where the vehicle that she was travelling in with her family stopped. The initial focus of our investigation was in Roseworthy. However, information that has come to hand since then indicates that Tanya actually travelled further than Roseworthy and we believe that she actually uh, made it back to the property at Manor Hill. So again, we're appealing for anyone out there who has information in relation to where Tanya's remains are to please contact us through Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. I'll take some questions. What makes you so sure that her husband spoke with somebody else about where she's buried? Uh, the investigation and the length of time between when Tanya was last seen and when she was reported missing gives us reason to believe that Michael would have been involved uh, or contact with other people. Do you think that's a, a small group of friends that he has potentially spoken to? Look, I think the Burden family were well respected in the area. Um, they would have had people that they had confidence in that they would have um, perhaps shared things with. Um, some of those people will be reluctant, uh, out of respect for the Burden family, to come forward and talk to us. Um, but what I would say, this is um, deeply distressing for the family of Tanya in Germany. It's obviously going to be um, terrible as these kids grow up and want to know what happened to mum and not having any answers. So those people need to think about that. They need to come forward and do the right thing. Are those people up in the community, will they have people in that potentially? Or? Well, potentially, we think it's um, people close to the family, but it could be wider than that. Are they committing an offence potentially by not coming forward? Potentially there is an offence, but what I do want 
to make clear today is that um, we want to put this matter to rest. We want to find Tanya and bring peace to her family uh, and some answers for the kids as they move forward with their lives. Um, so, yes, potentially people could face charges, but that's not the thrust of today's um, message. Members of Mr. Burns' family, some of them believe that Tanya is still alive. What would you say about that? Look, with missing persons inquiries, we do lots of things to try and um, establish if a person is still alive or not. Um, in those inquiries, you would expect to see some sort of activity, either um, through contact with family, um, telephone, banking, sightings. Uh, there has been none of that. Did the police know, in terms of the people that may potentially know about this, the police have um, an idea of who they might be? Uh, are we talking a, a couple of people? Or are we talking more than that? Um, Michael's from a close family. Um, he would have had people within the family that he would have spoken to. Um, we've spoken to lots of those people. Um, they haven't disclosed any of those potential conversations that Michael may have had um, after Tanya uh, died. Um, they need to think about that. They need to come forward. After um, Tanya disappeared, did Michael go and stay anywhere outside of the Manahill area? We've conducted significant inquiries in relation to Michael's movements from the 8th of August until the time of report of uh, Tanya's disappearance. Um, there's a period um, on the Wednesday uh, of a number of hours that we can't account for. Uh, there's also um, a period on the 9th that we can't account for as well. So. They're blanks on our investigation as to where Michael actually was, what he was doing. Um, but we suspect, as I say, someone does know what he was doing during those periods of time and they need to tell us where Michael was and what he was actually doing during those periods. Do you suspect he travelled to Adelaide? Is that no. possible? No. Do you think Michael acted alone or do you think other people were involved in helping him either before or after all? Look, we suspect Michael um, has committed murder of his wife. We don't believe anyone else was involved in that. Whether other people chose to assist Michael after the murder is a question that we need answers to. And um, as I say, it's not about putting those people who may have assisted before the court. It's about trying to find Tanya's remains and put this matter to rest. Last question. Have you returned to Manor Hill recently? Uh, we haven't uh, been to Manor Hills uh, for a number of months now. Um, so again, the key to that is really seeking um, information which will give us a good start point to go and look for Tanya's remains. As you can imagine, massive property, you can't just start uh, with no clues. So we're really asking for that help. Give us a clue where Tanya is so as we can start to search for her. How has Ms Ebert's family responded to the development today? How have they reacted to it? We've been in regular contact with her family in Germany and they are supportive of uh, Paul and what we've uh, done in relation to the investigation. But clearly they remain distressed about um, being unable to um, get the answers as to what exactly happened to Tanya and where her body is. And the young boys, are they with the family in Germany? Two young lads are with the um, family of Michaels and they're being cared for and they're safe. But as I say, um, they'll have many questions as they grow up and we want to try and give them those answers. So they're Thank you. Yes. Do the police still think that the uh, remains may be at the property? There was a big search there a year or so ago. Um, is that still very close that the body may have been? I can't say with certainty, um, but it is most likely that her remains are at that property, yes.
So that's Detective Inspector Billy Thompson, who's clearly an Irish dude who <laughs> decided to move to Australia and be a cop, which is cool. Um, you can see or you can tell, I'll put that on the website, but you can tell how direct he is with his language. I've watched that a couple of times and he never really says Tanya disappeared or ran away. He says at one point died. Um, and I think they're very being very direct with that. Obviously, they have, you know, gaps in time that they can't account for. Michael in the days following Tanya's disappearance when she was not reported missing that they can't account for. Um, obviously, they've got a lot of, you know, research. And in this day and age, it's very hard to stay off the grid and not be located even if you're being abused. Unfortunately, according to everyone, you know, there seemed to be no cracks in the marriage until Tanya started talking about how she wanted to leave and how they were on the rocks and things. That doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. We have to remember that Tanya is on a property with the nearest neighbours 37 kilometres away. Um, anything could be going on on that property and we don't know. Um, obviously, there's, you know, she's obviously isolated and whether or not, you know, that helps in controlling her, I can't speak to. Um, the investigation is still ongoing. Um, Basically, the police continue to believe and say that they believe there are people in the community or within the Burden family who are suppressing information on the case um, and who could possibly have been involved in the disposal of Tanya Ebert's body. I cannot find any proof an inquest has happened, but I believe at some point it will because it's an unsolved death. Tanya was 23 and her husband was 41. Um, she had had two children by 23, uh, very soon after she met this man in a outback part of Australia where there's very few people. There is abuse of women where men will get young women pregnant and keep them dependent. And as we talked about in the statistics about domestic violence in Australia, women who are not from here are at a heightened risk of being abused because they are fearful of leaving and losing custody, international custody of their children or of being deported. Abusers will use this as a way to keep their partner compliant and add on top of that with Tanya, her isolation, both physical and mental from the rest of the world, including not even having good phone service unless you're in the house. That does not give Tanya a whole lot of privacy, does it? Other than the fact that she had had that trip in April, I believe by herself to the Bahamas for her friend's wedding. And just because Michael's mother has said that that was Tanya practicing, um, you know, her getaway. Maybe Tanya just wanted to have a holiday by herself for the first time since she was 19 and she became a mother and a friggin' um, one of two people on a property that is 400 square kilometres. I see no quotes from female friends who lived near the station or that she knew in the immediate area of Manor Hill in any of my research. And I believe that is telling. I personally obviously believe that Michael did something. I believe that they had a blue in the car that they got back to the property. I believe police have pretty good evidence that they got back and that her getting out of the car at Roseworthy is a lie. I think that probably at one point they probably pulled over um, because they were having a fight and Michael has used probably that siding of them pulling over in the car 
to his advantage, but in fact, she never got out of the car. I do not for a second believe that Tanya left her boys behind. I She may be young, but I do not believe she is dumb. I believe that the lag in time, almost two days to report her missing when she, of, when she allegedly got out of the car in the middle of nowhere in the dark in winter, three hours from home, but no one reported her missing. Um, I believe that that two days was to hide her body on the property, um, on the station. And as the property belongs to family, I believe that this has probably hindered the investigation because who knows what could have been done on that property in the last three or four years. But people are losing money in Australia Nobody can enter Australia and we cannot leave. So as a result of that, people are losing income and they are losing tourism. So if you know anything, even if you have been in the local pub and heard someone mouthing off about something, you could get $200,000 for throwing someone under the bus who doesn't deserve to see the light of day ever again. And I'm not talking about Michael because he's already dead. So I'm talking about people who know what went on and are keeping that quiet. These people do not deserve to be in your community. And who knows if they're not in your community anymore because you have information that puts them away or makes them leave, you could get that massive station at an auction at like a steal because of the economy at the moment. So there's so many benefits to this. The main one being that a young mother who was not from Australia, who probably just wanted to get the fuck out of that isolated shithole in the middle of fucking the asshole end of Australia and wanted to take her little boys with her, you know, you could get her family answers and they are suffering. That was that detective superintendent talking. That was in 2018. The passage of time does not make these things easier on people. They can only make things worse on people. And Tanya is out there somewhere on that property, whether she's in a mine on that property as that detective Billy said, they searched dams and sentimental spots on the property, places that meant the most to someone on the property. Um, and I'm sure that restriction, people are not all over that property. Um, I'm sure that the public don't have access to it. But I'm sure in this part of the world, people gossip because I have lived in small towns and I know about outback towns. Someone has told someone who's told someone who's told someone or someone has heard a rumour that they think may just be a rumour, but usually those rumours stem from some sort of truth. Someone has probably heard a rumour that, you know, there's a mine where she's down there. Um, even if you have heard a rumor that you think is probably bulldust, just contact Crime Stoppers. Any tiny little bit will help. Um, this is obviously a family property and will continue to be passed down through the generations. Who knows? Tanya's sons may end up running it. One thing is for sure, at some point they will be adults and their minds won't be poisoned against their mother once they're able to access the internet and learn about the details of her disappearance and hopefully at some point those two little boys, when they are young men, um, try to find their mother and maybe they'll be the ones to find her. So yes, I don't have anything else to say. What I have said is pretty clear. I'm kind of like pissed off this week and I've channeled that onto 
number of men in this story. But good men are out there. They are the majority of them. I'm not a man-hater. I do not side with people who are man-haters. I am very far away from that. We need men in the community and the male cops and, you know, Tanya's father and male friends are the evidence of that. Um, People like Michael Burden are the exception. So visit the website at unknownpassagepodcast.com. I will put up Tanya's episode page shortly. Become a patron on patreon.com slash unknownpassagepodcast. It links off the website as well. When you become a patron, you get to choose a location for an upcoming episode. And I've got quite a few on my list, so bear with me. One-off donations to the podcast can be done through PayPal. The email is unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com. That would be really helpful at the moment because I live in a penal colony. Um, So thank you. And yeah, case suggestions um, to unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com. If it takes me a bit to get back to you, it's because I get like a lot of emails and I've also got some work stuff going on as well. Um, yeah, so I hope you guys are doing well. I want to say thank you to Sophie, um, who also lives in the country, but not quite the outback um, for requesting this. It was important, not only because it's Australian Missing Persons Week and the end of Australian Missing Persons Week, but because women are suffering at the moment under lockdowns. And this is just an example of something that the government doesn't give a fuck about. Um, and yeah, Tanya's important. And also it's kind of like meant to be because she requested it. I put it on the list. I started researching it. And then when I went to record it, I realized it was the anniversary without even knowing it. So put a little prayer out for Tanya that hopefully one day they find her. And my thoughts are with her family as well. I will be back next week with a whole new episode, maybe sooner.